0: Good afternoon to all of our fellow health enthusiasts. My name is Aubrey Mast and I am a professor of nutrition. This is a new podcast developed by my friend and colleague, Dr. Charles Benz, and we call this show Healing Trends with Dr. Benz. We search the internet every day to find the best scientific studies that can be used to improve the health of every interested person. You will not see many of these studies in conventional media because most doctors do not have the time or the interest in finding them. And there are additional special interests that are also less than enthusiastic about you knowing about these studies. Every week, we will explore nutritional science that has the potential to prevent and even reverse 90% of chronic illnesses. This could save many lives and help to stop the healthcare crisis that will eventually bankrupt our country. This is frequently called functional medicine and it has been adopted by thousands of doctors, as well as some medical schools and hospitals, including the Cleveland Clinic. Today's program is entitled, Can the U.S. Avoid Health Care Bankruptcy? And I know, Dr. Buns, you have already Loaded up some opinions and thoughts on, uh, can we avoid this?
1: Well, you know, we hope we can. But when you look at these statistics, uh, this, the first statistic came from uh, an economist uh, in the Economist magazine a couple years ago. And he predicted that uh, the United States would spend 100% of his GNP by the year 2065. Uh, it doesn't take hundred percent of the GNP uh, to cause bankruptcy, it's gonna happen when you get to around 50 or 60% because there won't be any money left for anything else. And so we're at that uh, tsunami situation right now. And the things that are dragged out every once in a while to see whether they're gonna be working or not is like the single payer system. And uh, I know that's something that's really big in the democratic world. And uh, they tout it because all the socialized countries in Europe and, and even Canada has the single-payer system. But I know a lot about the Canadian system and they're in just as much trouble as the U.S. system is. So um, single-payer doesn't make a lot of sense in the provinces that I've worked in. A lot of them are already spending 40, 50, and 60 percent of their provincial budgets on health care. So we're, we're, in, we're in big trouble. And... I've always said and I see the science behind it and I see all the articles have been coming out for years. 80% of chronic illness is preventable. And our healthcare system only spends 5% of every every healthcare dollar on prevention. So to me, that's the that's the big, that's the big number. uh, That's the big savings. I don't know how we can get to that point. I think we're going to try to come up with some ideas today. So I'm going to be a coward here and throw it back over to you and say, how would you fix this problem, Aubrey?
0: (laughs) No, no pressure whatsoever. Thanks.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting.
0: I just got done teaching, um, a holistic health modalities class. And we were talking about this very concept around, you know, how much money we spend towards treatment rather than prevention of illness in the United States. And, In my course, we covered acupuncture and dance therapy and sound therapy and massage and uh, meditation and deep breathing, Uh, really all of these holistic modalities that we know are really effective um, at dropping cortisol, at reducing inflammatory markers, at helping us feel better in our body. They alter HRV, uh, heart rate variability. And so they have a a significant body of research that really shows that they can help with the prevention of chronic illnesses. And I think the reason why this is really important to me is because most of these modalities have very minimal cost to them. I mean, to meditate, you do not need anything. You can literally download an app and follow along to a guided meditation. You can sit in your bedroom with your eyes closed. For deep breathing, you don't need to purchase anything. For moving your body up and down the stairs, you don't need to purchase anything. Even for using acupressure, you don't have to necessarily go to a practitioner. So I think there's a lot of things that individuals can do on their own to help with prevention and you know help counteract these healthcare costs. And I think that's a really important place to start, especially when we look at the financial trends in the United States, where you see a great growth opportunity and growth already happening within the supplements, Um, the supplement industries, and more and more individuals becoming uh, interested in these alternative or integrative healthcare practices, which are decreasing healthcare costs, but they're also really returning the power back to the individual to take control over how they feel um, and how their body's responding to whatever illnesses or symptomologies they're dealing with.
1: Well, you know, of, of, of course, those are things that are our solutions and a certain percentage of people are using them. Uh, but this incremental growth, where people all of a sudden, the light goes on, and they go, Oh, wow, I better get healthy. Um, that's going to take a long time. And, and so I think we have maybe three or four years in order to to turn this ship around. And you know, these big ships in the ocean, they don't turn very quickly. And this is the one that's really motivated by money. And so we'll just tell it like it is. The pharmaceutical industry controls the medical system in the United States. And so 70% of the ads that are uh, in the national media come from big pharma. And Big Pharma is by far the biggest contributor to political elections. And we know how fickle and cowardly politicians are. And so are they going to be able to, to say, let's turn the ship around whenever there's so much money going into their reelections? So that's what's kind of been uh, driving the ship for the last 20 or 30 or 40 years. And so that's why the single payer system turns out to be a politically popular alternative. And now with the Democratic Congress, um, there's this opportunity to change it. And I wouldn't say no to that uh, as a first step. But to me, uh, there's so many things that could be done before that. And I think self-care is one thing. I think parental guidance is another thing. Uh, A lot of parents really don't know how to feed their children. And, you know, we've got like 70% of people in the United States are overweight or obese. And we've got at least 50 or 60% of, of children that are overweight. So they're eating the wrong food. So I'm gonna put it back to you and say, yeah, okay. But let's say we changed our nutritional standards. And let's say that uh, if the supermarkets had uh, scores on all the food that said, these are the healthy foods and this is the score for that food. You know, there's over a thousand stores in the United States that are already using that kind of system. And so you can go and look at a food and go, hey, that's a really healthy food. Conscientious parents, especially women, mothers will do that. So there's a thing that the food industry could do to try to drive people towards healthier choices. And I just think that the food industry is one of the culprits. You know, they like the fat, they like the salt, they like the sugar. And so we would, I would say, get those things taxed. Uh, that would be one of the things that I would say the governments could do. They also love to have more taxation. Well, tax those foods, but they've been cowardly about that as well. So agree. back to you, if, the, if, if the food industry won't do it and the parents aren't going to do it, where do we get the incentives from? I like the self care thing, but. Where do incentives come from to get this thing turned around?
0: That's a big question. Uh, You know, I think we're really talking about a paradigm shift and we're talking about a paradigm shift where we don't have a culture based upon sick care, but we have a culture that's based upon well care. And that not only involves education, but involves mental and emotional health. Um, You know, it involves social well-being and occupational well-being as well. And so I agree with you. I mean, there is fault within uh, the food industry for sure. And there's definitely fault within the pharmaceutical uh, industry. Um, and also, um, you know, like how you find incentive for me, the clients that I work with, the incentive comes from them as individuals, where they get to a place where they have to take control over their health and well-being. How you do that on a public model though, when we have such a culture that's based upon keeping people sick and keeping them unwell and keeping them dependent upon that system is very difficult um, without you know a complete paradigm shift towards embracing uh, social well-being. And I, I think of Bali, Um, And I think of a lot of other countries that, you know, their culture within their countries is based upon happiness quotients. And so they will actually measure the happiness factors of their population. And you see this happening um, with blue zones as well, where these are individuals that are reporting really high satisfaction of life scores because not only are they eating better, moving more engaging with social support and have a belief in um, a higher power or a belief in you know the power of life they also live in areas where they are supported in maintaining those types of lifestyles and i think there's just so many culprits that are at play i don't know the best way to tackle it because i feel like you have to tackle it from a thousand different angles in the united states at this point in time
1: well yeah, yeah. and i think that uh, we've got to take our our clues uh, our cues from uh, the things that are starting to work and and I've always thought and this is why I concentrate my business on workplace wellness that the employer was the place where the, the, uh, the the cost was really centered and so good employers that create the culture within their organization and I have a couple of clients that I'm working with in Georgia and South Carolina and in Florida And they've got it, all right? And they are educating their employees. They're incentivizing them to become healthier and rewarding them for becoming healthier. And so that's one of the places where I think individual companies and people within the companies can start to take the actions that that you're talking about. On a a bigger scale, um, several years ago, the city of Philadelphia started a citywide weight loss program. And that led to some really interesting dynamics because the mayor took the lead in this thing. And then there were a couple other cities that started to go in the same direction. And once this thing got to California and usually it's the other way around, like California usually takes the lead in these things and then spreads it around to other, other states and other communities. But this whole thing about the weight loss got to California and they actually got something in the legislature where they got some money for doctors who would give prescriptions to people to improve their diet. Now, this was an, a prescription because they have, they've got an illness, they've got some kind of challenge, but they can actually get a prescription for losing weight or a prescription for uh, getting rid of their depression or their Alzheimer's with food as one of the uh, alternatives. I think those kinds of things are, are initiatives that need to be promoted more aggressively so that the p- p- people and organizations can see where the best practices are. So I'm a real advocate of, let's find the best practices and and get to the organizations that have some control. Like if California is doing this, let's get all states to look at this at their next national statewide convention. Uh, If municipalities are doing this, let's go to the City County Management Association and get a presentation from Philadelphia and, and sort of spread these best practices. These are things that can be done And they're getting real results so so to me these are the kind of i don't know low-hanging fruit if you will uh whereas trying to change the government and the doctors and the hospitals that's really tough um so that's that's my salvo uh for this part of the conversation get these best practices going and the other thing that you said like people have to wait till they're sick i think i think we can do this without waiting because we've already got 60 or 70% of the population that has a chronic illness. So all they need is to be motivated to get rid of that chronic illness and have their employer give them incentives and rewards for doing that. And I think we're home free. Is there any more low hanging fruit that you can think about?
0: Well, I always think about, um, you know, the power and the research that comes out around prescriptions written for exercise and prescriptions written for fresh produce. I think those are ways to incentivize being able to access or being able to get into a movement routine. I agree with you. I mean, like the low hanging fruit is definitely the best and using employers changing workplace culture, changing social support. And instead of getting together with friends and, you know, sitting around uh, the television, maybe taking a walk instead, you know, like those are real easy quick changes that we can already make Uh, and so there then becomes the empowerment to the individual and i think as we see that pressure that's how we change uh, the bigger the bigger players you know we've seen that happen again and again with the organic food movement where we once did not have access and now we have access in really almost every grocery store you go to to some form of an organic food and that's because there's been pressure put forward on the food system to adapt and give healthier options. And so I think what your uh, opinions are right on the money, there's not much more I can add.
1: Well, you know, I I, I think and I'm going to go out on a limb here, but that's nothing new for me. Um, The the medical establishment actually has a thing that they they do where they try to counter all these progressive moves. So uh, when you have a doctor that's trying to do something really creative, um, they'll They'll go after him or they'll write articles that'll discount what he's trying to do. Um, I think they even have gone after the whole Cleveland Clinic and, and, and said, okay, Cleveland Clinic is not doing uh, medicine the way they should. And so if you uh, like have a, a discussion on COVID and say, so what's the value of vitamin C and D and zinc? Well, there's thousands and thousands of studies, but invariably the medical community will come out and write a counter argument in the news media somewhere, and they have a way to get it published. And in the end of it, they'll say, well, you know, these supplements really don't work that well. I mean, they're very limited. And unless you have a real big deficiency, there's no benefit to them. These are absolutely false statements. And so this is something that we have to be, be mindful of, because they get away with, with making unscientific and untrue statements all the time, because of who they are and what influence they can they can bring to bear. So I think that's one of the problems is we've got this imbalance and, and, and it's not just big pharma, it's the medical community. I can remember when the discussion around the Cleveland Clinic came up and Mark Hyman said to the CEO, you know, if you go after this whole thing of, of, of adding functional medicine to what you're doing, you're going to lose 50% of your beds. In other words, there'll be 50% less people to go into your hospitals. And you're going to lose 50 percent of your doctors, and the CEO who, who at that time was was uh, Dallas uh, Cosgrove said, I-, "I don't really care. It's the right thing to do," and so that's why they started to steer the Cleveland Clinic in the direction of functional medicine, and and now we've got another one, another uh, medical school in eastern Virginia that uh, is practice this the eastern. Virginia Medical School is actually practicing and teaching functional medicine. And so if we can get more of these medical schools and more of these clinics to start moving that direction, that's another best practice. That's another way to go, especially when you see the Cleveland Clinic bringing out studies that are showing that when they compared head to head the things that were being done in a conventional way with drugs and surgery to nutrition and uh, the other medicines that you talked about, like chiropractic and, and acupuncture. And, and 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 it comes out almost every time that nutrition and these alternative medicines are getting better results than the prescription medication and the surgery approach. And so I, I think that's some of the things that we have to get into media more. Uh, I don't know how we do that. You know, NPR seems to be the only one willing to say anything that, because they're not getting all their money from the drug industry so the system is kind of all wrapped up in in this whole thing and even the educational system got got turned around used to be they at least taught them a a basic although a very bad health uh, education program but now there's actually 200 schools out there that are being taught the importance of vegetables and they're actually doing blood tests and they're actually doing behavior analysis so i think we ought to bring uh, education back into the school system it should be one of the main things that's taught in maybe the sixth grade and then back in the 10th and 11th grade again so that people at least have a basic understanding of how the body works and so I would encourage the educational system to step up to the plate and because right now if it was a score of, of, of say a for great and F for bad they're D minus you know they're're they're, they're, they're not doing a very good job. So uh, I I would say that's another place where where we could get some leverage to try to get this thing moved in the right direction. I'll let you have a few more of those of ideas if you have them and then I'll kind of uh, wrap it up and and get our sponsors into play, but and actually I'm going to go by and, and and give my scores on all, all the different categories that we've been talking about on how well or how bad I think they're doing. I think this should be interesting. <laughs> You go ahead first. Yeah, I then.
0: want to hear that. No, I don't think I have anything <laughs> okay, else okay. to add. I, I'm in the same op- opinion as you.
1: Okay. We don't have any disagreement. All right. Uh, I say governments. Governments uh, uh, are failing. They're they're an F. And so the guy that wrote the book sickened how the government ruined health care. Yeah, they didn't ruin it. They, they contributed to it. But yeah, I'd give them an F. And doctors, you know, he, he talked about primary care as a way to do it. The problem is all the direct primary care doctors have virtually nothing about functional medicine. So they're motivated to uh, treat their people well, uh, treat their patients and and try to get their costs down, but they really don't know how to do it very effectively. So I give them a D minus. Now hospitals, I give them an F for chronic care and I give them a C for uh, acute care because they're even doing a lot of operations that they shouldn't be doing. They're too quick to go to the knife. And so there's a lot of room to be uh to be improvement there, so I give f for the for the chronic care part of it because these hospitals really know very, very little about how to treat chronic care chronic illness and then pharmacies oh boy pharmacies there's the conventional pharmacy that just pushes the pills I give them an f the compounding pharmacies I give them a b because yeah they're they're actually tailoring their their pharmaceuticals to the individual. They're doing blood tests and saliva tests, and for women, they're getting their hormones balanced, and 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 at least getting some recognition that medicine should be a personalized thing. Um, the food stores, sorry, food stores and the companies that make the foods, they they've got to get an F too. I'm I'm sorry, they're just not getting it done. They are, some of them are expanding their organic food section. I give them credit for that. And some are rating their foods. I give them credit for that. So those ones are getting B's and A's, but I'm talking about the vast majority of, of uh, food companies and food stores. They're not doing it. They get an F, um, health insurance companies, F, <laughs> I mean, what they put on their websites, that's, that's supposed to constitute prevention is criminal. And uh, the evidence shows that people don't even pay attention to those things because they know that they're bogus. And so they get like eight or nine or 10% of their patients actually paying attention to their prevention programs. And the educational system, I give them a D. Uh, The news media, a big fat F. Uh, And, you know, they're just guided by their by their pocketbook they can't they can't help themselves the salaries just do it for them but the 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 natural health media i give them a b plus you know they're 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 doing an outstanding job so you got to separate some of these categories parents uh this is this is terrible i i I wish i could say more and better things about parents but i wrote a book uh called rebecca or mother (laughs) you caused my diabetes and unfortunately uh, this was something that's been happening for the last 30 or 40 years it may change now because the majority of people don't want to go back to work they want to continue to work at home right i think if mothers start to do that they're going to start to cook again and pay attention to their kids health and their food and and their and their whole well-being i think this could be a big unexpected benefit of the covid is to have people not want to go to the toxic workplace and instead stay at home and do a better job at home with their work and do a better job at home with their family. Um, Businesses and employers, most of them, uh, again, a D or an F because they're just not getting it done. Uh, When I talk to an employer and they say they have a wellness program, I say, well, is it written? And do you have goals and objectives? And are they measurable? And the answers are no, no. And no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's that's my summary. I I I I'm, I'm, I feel terrible about having to present that, but unfortunately, having seen this for 20, 30, 40 years, that's the way it is. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we'll do the best we can, right? And we'll 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 give our that's right. get our program out there and get our message out there and our articles and other things. But I think for our readers, our listeners, rather, they have to get the picture and they have to know that uh, this system is not working the way that it should. They have to know who the culprits are and who the heroes are. And we have to start promoting the heroes and getting them out there in the front and and reversing this problem and getting prevention to play a more dominant role. And so... uh, that's that's my pitch and and i I think that most of our sponsors would agree with that um first one is southern trust financial planning and i've been working with them for 20 years almost and they're not not only interested in your financial health they're interested in your personal health and they've they've been doing workshops for their clients with me for uh, like 18 years anyway and so that's a company that has the right culture and the right ethic and I know the CEO and he's a real driver personally into this whole uh, wellness and health thing and his family and his kids are all on board with it. So that has, it has to start at the top. And I think that uh, Southern Trust Financial Planning is a company that does that. Uh, DHA Labs, they're another one. Wow. Uh, the, the the CEO there, the head guy, he's his family have been into this for 60 years, 70 years. And he's really all about having the best tests and one of the things that we have to get people to do is get the right test because the employers and the doctors aren't testing for the right things well DHA labs has these advanced tests I've developed five or six of them I have a new one coming out uh, probably this week on brain health and it's going to be the most comprehensive brain panel that's ever been developed and so I'm really proud of my relationship with uh, DHA labs and uh, I think anybody and any organization or any individual that wants to have advanced blood testing or saliva or even genetic testing DHA labs is a place to go and uh, paddock pools paddock pools has the most healthy pools in the country I think they have a vacuum extractor that takes the chlorine gas off the surface of the water and allows you to really breathe the best oxygen level air that you can for your exercise and I think they've been doing this for several years now, and they have, I don't know how many uh, pools they have across the country, but they're they're adding a dozen or 20 pools every year that have these vacuum extractors in them to get rid of this chlorine gas. So Paddock Pools in Rock Hill, South Carolina, that's the place you really want to contact if you're going to want to develop a pool that has the healthiest environment for swimmers of all ages. And MPB Health. MPB Health is one of these companies that Uh, they they're not a health insurance company but they're a medical cost-sharing company and medical cost-sharing is something that attracts people who want to be healthy who want to be well and don't want to be penalized by being part of an insurance and health insurance program that forces them to share uh, those high costs of people who are not taking care of themselves so MPB Health there's some videos online and uh, you can very easily find out what it's all about and from the experience that I've seen with them, they get about a 30 to 50% reduction in an individual's healthcare cost annually. And so that's really that's really a way to drive the cost down too. And we should put them on the list of the best practices that I was talking about earlier. So MPB Health, really good company. And you know, we got as much as we could in today. And um, I don't know, I think it was okay. I think people will see that there's some ideas out there to, to work on and everybody has to take responsibility. You know, when, whenever you go out there uh, as an individual, you can do something every day to make a difference. Recycling, it's everybody does their individual thing. Well, guess what? We've got to recycle our healthcare system, and every person in the country has a responsibility to take a role in that. I hope we inspired them to do that today, Aubrey.
0: I hope so, too. All
1: right, thanks again. Be in there with me. All right, bye now.